0: How is everyone doing this morning? Good, that's good to hear. We are having uh, a few technical difficulties, so I'll be using a hand mic the whole time, but I think that is all right. God can work through that too. So, If you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Psalm 23. Uh, we are continuing uh, a summer series titled Summer and the Psalms. So the whole summer we'll be looking at a psalm and seeing what God has for us. So once again, if you have your Bibles, open up to the famous. Very well known, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, God says to us this morning, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That says the Lord. With that said, let us let us pray before we dive in. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy that you give to us. Pray that we will continue to see your grace and your mercy as we read your word this morning and as we unpack what you have for us. I pray that... If there is anybody here uh, who stands in need of comfort, peace, and security, I pray that you may provide for them those things and show them how you have provided for them through Jesus. And if there is anyone even this morning who does not know you, I pray that even through this message that they will come to know you, that they will submit to your lordship and take them the pleasure of Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. What is the essence of Christianity. In other words, what does it mean to be a Christian? At its basic fundamental essentials, at its roots. Let's say that I gave you a paintbrush. I don't know how many of you guys are artists, I'm not, but let's just run with it and say that. I gave you a paintbrush and I gave you some paint, you can paint with, and I told you, I said, I want you to paint me a picture One picture of what it looks like to be a Christian. Paint me a picture of what it looks like to be a child of God. What it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it look like to be in God's family? Why did you come to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you participate in baptism and watch other baptisms? Why do you teach your kids the word of God? Why do you do these things? What is one picture that you would paint? What does it look like to be a Christian and why do you do the things that you do? What picture would you paint? Would you paint a picture of somebody that has it all together? That has this extreme perfect church attendance, that this kind of angelic being who never does anything wrong? Would you paint me a picture of someone who is extremely sacrificial, like a Mother Teresa-like figure, right? Who's always just given up his or her life for others? Is that essentially what it looks like to be a Christian? In our song today, David, he essentially paints a picture for us. Many scholars, commentators, teachers, they call this psalm the essence of Christianity. This is what it looks like to be a child of God. So David essentially takes his paintbrush for us this morning and he paints a picture of what it looks like to be a child of God. What it looks like to follow the Lord. And it is my prayer that we may see that the essence of Christianity, true Christianity, is not what we do for God, but what God does for us. True Christianity is not what we give to God, but essentially it is what God has given us, what God does give us. And what God will give us. And we see that in this song today. And with that said, let us pray this one more time. We can dive in. Dear Lord, I pray that um, your son may be magnified and that we may run to you as the one who gives us all that we need. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about uh, David, uh, the Bible gives us a lot of details about his life. And he was absolutely amazing at taking, like, everyday, ordinary human things and using those things to describe God. He loved to sit back and meditate. That means think about, he loved to sit back and think about God and what God did for him. So when David sat back and he thought about how God protected him with his own power, God's own power, He says in Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now, look at the words that David uses to describe God. He says rock, fortress, deliverer, refuge, shield, horn, stronghold. He was amazing at just taking every day, or at least in his day. I mean, a horn or a horn may not be may not make sense to us, but in his day, those things make sense. And he was absolutely amazing at taking everyday human realities and using them to describe God. And this song today, Psalm 23, is, well, no different. He says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want." And essentially, David uses two imageries in this song. The dominant one is the Lord as shepherd, and that covers verses 1 through 4. But the second imagery is the Lord as host, as in the Lord as a host for a meal, and that covers verses 5 through 6. But even though these are two different imageries, it still has its basic meaning. The common denominator is God provides, the Lord provides for his sheep. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now when he says that, he's He's not saying the Lord is my shepherd that I don't want, as in I don't want the Lord to be my shepherd. What he is saying is the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Um, I'm reading from the ESV and it says I shall not want. I like the way the TNIV, today's new international version, um, translates that and part of the NIV. They translate it as the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. As in I have all that I need, there's nothing that I do not lack. And then David continues the imagery, and he describes to us exactly why the Lord is his shepherd. We see that the Lord does his job exceedingly well. In verse 2, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, if there's anybody who knew how to be a good shepherd, it was David, right? He went from shepherding his father's flock, least I not believing in his father's flock, He went from shepherding his father's flock to shepherding the people of Israel as king. So David knew what it means to be a shepherd. And when he says he leaves me beside still waters, what he is doing is he is showing that the Lord has the knowledge to know exactly what his sheep need. Um, I've been told that sheep, they can't drink from uh, fast flowing waters. They need calm, quiet, still waters to drink from. They will not drink from fast flowing waters. I have no idea why. Maybe it's because if they would drink from fast flowing waters, they may fall in and get pulled downstream and, I don't know, fall off a cliff or something. I have no idea. But they won't do it. And so when David says he leaves me beside still waters, he's not just throwing out random words from his hat to sound good. He is saying that the Lord knows exactly what I need and he gives it to me. That's what he's saying. He then goes on and he says in verse 3, He restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Once again, the Lord, the shepherd, knows exactly what David needs. David constantly had people trying to kill him, to take away his life, Saul being one of them. And I'm not sure if this song was written during that time, uh, but you can probably guess that this song was written during a time to where David was still being chased by his enemies. We'll get to that later. So David was always, a lot of times, he always faced discouragement, right? He always just kind of had this sense of discouragement. You read the psalms, you see, he's always crying out to God for protection, for safety, for security, for restoration, and the Lord gives him restoration. He says, He restores my soul. Also, he says, He leaves me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, right? Verse 3. So David not only needs restoration, but he also needs guidance. And once again, the shepherd, the Lord, knows exactly what his flock needs and he provides accordingly. Uh, The Lord does not ignore his sheep. He knows exactly what his sheep sheep needs. I can imagine if you're a shepherd that it's probably easy to daydream. I mean, you're out all day in a hot sun and you're just just watching the sheep. I mean, there's a silver hair. All right, you know, he's... You may get into a little fight or something like that. You just kind of watch. No, I don't know that's what I would be. Anyways, um, so it's, it's, it'll probably be easy to daydream. But David says, he restores my soul, meaning that God does not daydream. Right? He doesn't just sit back and get bored with what's going on. He is always intent upon looking upon the, the necessities and the needs that his sheep needs. God does not ignore His sheep. David continues his imagery. He says in verse four, "Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me." Now, once again, David is not just saying random words, pulling out words that just comes to mind. The words that he uses in this psalm are so uh, amazing; it, it is absolutely stunning. He says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, when you think about a shadow, let's let's say that you were walking down on the street um, on a hot summer day. And you look down and you see your shadow. If you were to see someone else's shadow, what does that tell you? That tells you that somebody is right behind you, right? Somebody is, they're right there, they're coming on you. So when David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what he is saying is, even though death is close to me, even though death is right behind me, breathing down my neck, and he says valley, so multiple shadows, even though he is walking through a place where death stays, to where death dwells, essentially in the face of death, he will not fear then he says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we see David having all of his needs met. That's what this psalm is about. Nowhere in this psalm do we ever see what David does for God. Not once. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we see in verse 1 that David has contentment. He has all that he needs. We see that he has peace and restoration, in verses two and three, we see that he has guidance. This is what we see in verse three, he leads me a path of righteousness. No, he also has comfort. This is what we see in verse four, contentment, peace, guidance, comfort. These all sound like things that we all need and that we all seek every day. And David says that he, found, he finds those things in his shepherd. Now in verse five, he kind of flips the imagery a little bit. And he flips the imagery from a shepherd to a host. And he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies in verse 5. Now what David is essentially saying is uh, he has so much security in the presence of God that he is able to eat a hot meal before his enemies. As they're living their lives in chaos to destroy his life, David is able to enjoy his. And then he he shows us that he, he is an honored guest. Back in David's day, and this is also true in Jesus' day, if you wanted to honor your guest, uh, you would pour oil on their heads. That's how they would show you that you are an honored guest, that you are welcome, that they want to honor you, that they respect you, that they esteem you. So when David says, you anoint my head with oil, he is saying that I feel honored to be in your presence because you prepare a table before me. That's how much security David feels in the presence of his God. I mean, I don't know if you wanna practice that for your guests, uh, pour oil on their head, it might not have the same meaning. Uh, You might not have another guest after that, but... um, There are different ways to honor guests today, but back in David's day, it was, you poured oil on their heads. And then David shows us that he feels overwhelmed with this honor. That's why he says, my cup overflows. In verse one, he says, I shall not want. So in verse one, he says, I have all that I need. Then in verse five, he says, my cup overflows. So in verse five, he goes even further than saying that he has all that he needs. And he says, I have more than I need. That's because the Lord is his shepherd. And then he ends in verse six with a statement of faith. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a statement of faith. He started this song with uh, a statement of declaration. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he ends with a statement of faith. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, why, why is this a statement of faith? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews, It says that, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's chapter 11. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is being assured of what you hope for. It is having a positive confidence and trust that what you hope for will happen. So as David meditates on God's goodness, he says, surely. That shows his confidence, his trust. And he says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you read this song over and over, you'll see David talking about God's house a lot. So why, is, why does David talk about the Lord's house? What, what is so attractive about the Lord's house? Well, for David, um, on that side of Calvary, he, um, the Lord's house. Think about this, in Psalm 27 verse four, David says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So the reason why David wants to go to the Lord's house is because that is where he sees the glory of God. That is where he sees how amazing, how beautiful, how majestic, how powerful, how strong, how mighty, how holy, how loving, how awesome God is. He goes to the Lord's house to see that. And his faith, his hope in this psalm is that God's goodness and mercy will chase him and will pursue him. The Lord is such a good shepherd that his goodness and mercy chases David. That's how good God is at his job. Now this psalm, if you look at it from a bird's eye view, you will see that this psalm starts off with who God is. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is a sacrificial provider. Because that's what a shepherd does. He sacrifices his life for the sheep. And then we see what God does. Right? He says, he leads me. He restores my soul. He guides me. He comforts me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So we see who God is. We see what God does. And then in verse 6, we see what God will do. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We see that God's goodness and mercy will follow David. And that is what Christianity is all about. Now, two questions must be asked real quick. One is does coming to God to meet your needs, does that make a God out of your needs? Right? If you come to God to meet your needs, only to meet your needs, does that kind of make a, a genie out of God? Like, you just rub him a little bit, then you rub your Bible a little bit, and then he'll grant you whatever you want? There are some who believe that uh, this kind of, you know, you can hear me talk about coming to God for our needs. There are some who believe that this is making an idol out of our needs. It's called hedonism, as in making a God out of your pleasure. That's what hedonism is. Well, think about this. Let's say that you are on a a nature walk outside, and it's hot. I mean, South Carolina hot, like it's it's just burning. And you have no more water. And you are super thirsty. You want water. And let's say that you come across this spring that, that produces this crazy amount of water and provides this little stream and there's plenty of water for you to drink from. How would you glorify that water? This is the imagery that uh, Dr. John Piper uses, and I'm gonna use it because it's awesome. Um, How would would you glorify that water? How would you honor that spring? Would you honor that spring by trying to find another source of water and pouring more water into it? That's how you would insult the water. What do you have that the water doesn't already have? The water has what you need. You don't need to go to the water to add anything to it. You honor it by just simply taking a drink. You're thirsty, it has water, you drink And then your friends who are close behind you, when they come up to you and they see the satisfaction, the delight, the, the contentment, the peace, the pleasure, and the refreshment that is on your face, they will ask you, where did you get that from? Because they are thirsty too. And it is the same with Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. Because we all thirst after contentment, security, comfort, satisfaction, pleasure. These are all things that we all thirst and we hunger after. And we don't glorify God by trying to add something to Him or give Him something. The Bible says that He is not served by human hands. You glorify God by coming to Him and taking a drink. You come to him for your satisfaction, for your pleasure, for your contentment, your comfort, your peace, your security, your hope. And hopefully the world who is right behind you, who is chasing after the same things, will see the satisfaction, the delight, the contentment that is on your face. And hopefully, as they see your life, they will ask you, where did you get that from? And you will say, Jesus Christ. So does coming to Jesus Christ to satisfy your needs, making an idol out of your needs, the answer is no. Look in verse 3. He says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God glorifies himself by meeting your needs. That's how he brings himself glory. You want pleasure and delight and contentment? God is glorified by you seeking your pleasure, delight, and contentment in him and I ain't anything else. Now the second question is a little different because the second question is one that I cannot answer for you. It's one that only you can answer for yourself. No matter where you're at in life, no matter how old you are, this is a question that only you can answer for yourself. The second question is, who is your Lord? Who is your shepherd? Who are you trusting to take care of you? Who are you trusting to be your good shepherd? When you're discouraged, who do you go to, or what did you go to for restoration? When you want pleasure or happiness or contentment, who or what did you go to to satisfy you ultimately? Let's um, let's imagine once again. Go back to our stream imagery. Let's imagine that you. You're on a nature walk, and you see this stream once again, this stream that produces all this water. And let's say that you magically got a cup of ocean water. I don't know how we got there just run away. Let's just say that you just got some ocean water. And let's say that you look at the stream, and you said, ocean water, looks, ocean water looks good. So then you turn your back on the stream, and you start to walk, and you start to take drinks from that ocean water. Now, there's a problem with that, because you can't drink ocean water in respect to survive. That has salt in it, so if you ever swim in the ocean, right like salt, all in your mouth, all in your eyes, you come up with it. That's because it has salt in it. And let's say that eventually you come to your senses and you're like, this ocean water is not doing its job. This, it's not getting it. I'm thirsty. It's, it's not quenching my thirst. So let's say you go back to the stream, and you look at it, and you say, how can you do this to me? How could you allow this to happen to me? And then you turn your back on the stream, and you promise to never, ever drink from it again. Does that make any sense whatsoever? The stream did not fail in its job at all. The problem was that you expected something else to take its job. Ocean water can't quench your thirst. That's not its job. That's not what it's supposed to do. You go to the stream to satisfy that thirst. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say, I am my shepherd. My father Jesse is my shepherd. My brothers are my shepherd. The fact that I will be or I am a king is my shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. I do not mean to offend anyone at all this morning. That's the last thing I want to do uh, by saying this. But it is possible that some of you here are probably angry with God because you trusted in other people to take his job. You trust in other people, places, or things to be your shepherd. And you trusted in those people, places, or things to give you contentment, pleasure, satisfaction, security, comfort. And it looked like it was working for a while, but eventually you saw that it failed. You saw their sin, you saw their weaknesses, and you saw that they were not perfect maybe you got angry with God. You could be here at church this morning and still be mad at God. That does not mean that God has failed. That doesn't mean that you just trusted him someone else who's taken God. If you think about John chapter 10, um, you don't have to turn there. Uh, I'll just say you can if you want to. My only knowing. You will never ever meet a more loving, sacrificial, amazing, glorious shepherd than Jesus Christ Himself. So why in the world would we try to replace him? Why why would we do that? When Jesus Christ gives you commands and he does. We can read it to find out what his commands are. Do we trust that his commands are always for our good? We cannot have anybody else take the Lord's job, because No one else does it better. And they work out for you for a while, but no one else, I promise you, would never ever do his job better than Jesus Christ. Now, another question could be, um, Another thing could be maybe maybe you do trust in the Lord as your shepherd, maybe the Lord does call the shots in your life, maybe you're like Job and you fear God and, and, and you hate evil, and you walk with the righteous, you dwell with the righteous, you seek righteousness, you love the Lord, and yet calamity still hits, right? You trust in God and yet it doesn't seem as if the Lord is preventing disaster from coming your way. But once again, David says, he restores my soul. So even when calamity hits and disaster strikes and terror or, or uh, nightmares enter into your life, um, you still need to ask yourself, who are you running to for restoration? David ran to God. David's life wasn't all happy-go-lucky. He had people trying to kill him all the time. And even some of the things that happened in his life were just, as a result, of his own sin. But the question is, who do you run to for comfort when terror strikes? Notice in verse four, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice what he takes comfort in. He does not take comfort in being delivered. Because I don't know about you, but I don't see anywhere in verse 4 where he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will bring me out. I'm not there anymore. No, he says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So he takes comfort, not in his deliverance, but in the presence of God. Jesus says that he who was a hired hand will run. He doesn't. The higher hand cares nothing for the sheep. He just cares about getting paid, getting his job, because he's a hired hand. Jesus Christ will never run away. Even when terror, even when disaster hits your life or your family, or your loved ones, he won't run away. He is not a hired hand that he's gonna sit there and just flee from you. He may not get you out, but he'll get you through. And he will never leave you. David took comfort in the presence of God. He says, for you are with me. And that's when we take comfort when Teresh strife. Because when a shepherd is shepherding his sheep, there's still rain. Right? The sheep still got to go through rain. But if the shepherd is a good shepherd, when the sheep look up, they will see that the shepherd is still there. And as you're going through rain yourself, as you're going through a storm, you can look up and you see that Jesus Christ is still there. He did not leave you. He won't ever leave you. He does all things for your good. That's why the Bible can say, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Because God, the Lord, Yahweh, he satisfied your greatest need. And that is a savior. You needed salvation. And you were headed to hell. And God provided for that by crucifying his only son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep, he literally means I lay down my life for the sheep because that's exactly what he did. He laid his life down and he died and he drank the full cup of God's wrath and he rose on the third day so that we may have life. Once again, you will never meet a better shepherd. So there's no reason as to why we should try to be the Lord or the shepherd of our own lives because it won't happen. There's a Christian rapper, Trick Lee, who, who says, and youth group heard this a couple weeks ago. He said, if it was up to me, I'd be living lost and sick. Because when I decide to lead, I just let me off of cliffs. Sheep are not smart animals. They, they can leave themselves off of cliffs. But they must trust in the shepherd. We ourselves, we can act foolish. We must trust in the shepherd and what he said. So, what is the essence of Christianity? What is true Christianity? Especially when James says that true religion in the sight of God is caring for the orphans and widows. Doesn't that look like true Christianity is something you do? Well, who gives you the grace? to serve those orphans and widows. God. He gives you everything you need. And that is what Christianity is all about. God provides for your needs and he will provide for your need. And it may not make sense to us, but eventually the Lord will provide. Because true Christianity is all about what God did, what God does, and what God will do we can trust in the good shepherd. We can say, along with the hymn writer, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use thy foes prepare. Thou hast promised to receive me, poor and sinful though we be. Thou hast mercy to relieve us, grace to cleanse and power to free. Let us trust in Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you um, for laying down your life to be our good shepherd. Forgive us for the times when we try to replace you. Forgive us for the times when we doubt you and we don't believe that you can satisfy. No one else can take your job. And I pray for anyone here this morning who who has tried to make themselves or uh, something else or someone else their good shepherd. I pray that you help them to see their sin as you lovingly lead your flock away from disaster and lead your flock away from the cliffs. And may we take our satisfaction and our pleasure in you. Thank you for being the glorious shepherd that you are. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, May the God of hope fill you with all peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go with God, for God goes with you. Amen.